on 98FM and online. This is Phoenix FM. Steve Tung and with me in the studio delighted to have Trevor Singfield. Trevor how are you? Yeah I'm all good thanks Steve. Good and has the black cab business is it picking up again? Yeah yeah it's uh, been very good to us uh, since uh, most people have gone back in to work in central London and uh, yeah nice to be busy in the wheels again. Excellent and you were at Barrow as was uh, Karen Harrison another of the 270 odd who made that long trip well done good trip. Uh, yeah, it's a nice trip. Nice to be out with a picnic crew again. So uh, it's always good. But we have fun together. So. And getting that equalising goal no doubt made a difference. Uh, Richard Priest, like me, was watching on the screen on the stream. How are you, Richard? Yeah, good. Thanks, Dave. Good. Well, later we'll be joined by Glenn Wilkie, who was on duty as well in uh, Orient Live for that Barrow game. So we'll obviously reflect on that hard-earned point and where it leaves us in this very tight division ahead of uh, two big home games, Warsaw and Wilco, to come on Saturday uh, after his last-minute uh, goal. Got them a win at the weekend, you may have noticed. And then next Tuesday, Forest Green Rovers, the league leaders, certainly at present and probably still will be by then. So we'll hear from Dave Victor, as ever, looking backwards and forwards at all those games. And one new item, if we can squeeze it in, a look at Orient on social media, anything that's caught our eye in the past week or so. So let's get going. Um, Karen, you got going all the way to Barrow on Saturday. Tom James was unavailable, so Craig Clay at right wing back was the obvious move. And we came away with a 1-1 draw after falling behind. Uh, what did the performance look like from behind the goal? Uh, and it, it was a long day, really, and uh, <laughs> it was just one of those games where you just thought, you've made that long journey, you've had the early start, and then you got up there and there just seemed to be not a lot. And it was just, there was just something seemed to be, to me, seemed to be missing, and it was just a bit lacklustre. But it was, um, yeah, just... I don't know what to say, really. <laughs> Trevor, did you feel much the same? A bit lacklustre, but pleased to get the point? Um, well, yeah, like I said, I was uh, happily chatting away to my good friend Nelson for the most of the first half, and it was pretty of a non-event, allegedly. I had one eye on the game, but um, I'm going to take the positive spin on it all for what everyone say. 
we gain a point on the leaders. So it's a point gained. And uh, when when the, the top team loses and, and you don't, you, you've gained because they if they have won, they're, they're going to get further and further away, aren't they? So uh, yeah, second half performance. Um, Kenny was singing our praises that we we had more chances than them. I must admit the, the quality of shooting from Theo was good and and the keeper was equal to it. So it, it was one of them. It could have gone either way and both teams played in the sort of the last third once they got it down on the ground. But yeah, it was, uh, it was a long day, but an enjoyable day always is sort of the longer away trips are good because you catch up with all your old friends because you've got time to sit with each other on the train and that and... Yeah, and like I say, it was good to see my uh, good friend Nelson again after a very long time. I'm sure you both felt it makes such a difference just to get that equalising goal because uh, it is, at a place like Barrow especially, it's a very long journey back if you've lost, isn't it? And it, it makes it worse. There's, there's almost a feeling of relief just to come away with a point. Yeah, it, it definitely is. I mean, I'll, I'll throw something out that um, when listening to Martin Ling last week, we've, we've gone up to the three longest games, or we're going up, on a Thursday, now this is new, so far, two points. Is that good value for money? The, will the board look about and say, well, hold on, Kenny, you, you, you wanted to go early. And by all accounts, Carlisle's first half was rubbish. And we weren't that good in the first half at Barrow. But good second half performances has gained two out of six points. So let's hopefully they get three points when we ever get to Hartlepool. I have to say, though, that's two points that more than we probably would have got if we'd have gone on the Friday, to be fair. And it's, uh, as you said before, like two points against, up to against the leaders. You know, for, thankfully, Forest Green lost. So it's two points gained, really, I would say. Yeah. So, Rich, how did you think it, uh, it looked on the stream like me? I'm, I'm tempted to say that when you are there, you do get a bit more out of it. Um, and maybe it's the fact of the enjoyment. And as, as the guys have said, you're with your friends and so on. Sometimes just, I think, sitting at home, maybe on your own with a laptop and so on, games like that can look a bit dull, can't they? Yeah, I mean, I said before, you know, it's interesting to see the, the perspective of watching it on the stream as to being there. But it sounds quite similar, to be honest, because, you know, the first half I thought was, you know, almost a bit of a non-event, really. It was, I thought they probably shaded it more than we did. Um, second half again, I mean, I think this is where it's slightly different on the stream. I, I, I would have probably said overall we were lucky to get the point. Um, so in the end, I was pleased with that. Um, I think I've said on here previously that I kind of I'm going into every game at the moment under jacket quite positive, which for me is very unusual. Um, so you know, I, I, when we do go one down, it's I'm getting back to my old ways of getting the hump a little bit now and thinking, oh, I don't believe this. But I always feel that we can get back into it under Kenny Jacket. Um, so I think, and I, obviously I, I, I messaged out we were one nil down, and I messaged out saying that we'll be lucky to get a point out of this. And I think within 30 seconds, Beckles equalised. So, and by the end of it, we were probably the team pushing. I think that that looked like they were going to grab it more. So um, overall, yeah, I, I was pleased with the point, and um, it was second half compared to the first half. I thought you know we, we came into it a lot more, and it, it was a good performance considering you know Clay was out of position as well. Um, but Satiri came on, looked very good. I thought. Um, so there were a lot of positives to take out of that as well and, and the fact that Forest Green lost and we were a point closer as Trev said you know it's it's all the good Just going back to the lineup, um, Craig Clay as we said for Tom James who was unavailable and Alex Mitchell came back in and it was Dan Happy who dropped out not Shad Ogie does that mean that Ogie is now a little bit ahead of Dan Happy at the moment? I would say so yeah um, I wasn't surprised by that to be honest and you know I would have done the same thing. So, uh, so yeah, I wasn't surprised by that at all. And, and Alex Mitchell coming in, I think, again, you know, I, I didn't think he'd be on the bench. I didn't, you know, I knew he'd come straight back in. And the way Shad's been playing, you know, you can't blame the manager for keeping that, keeping him in the team. I thought he's looked really good so far. So, 
Trevor, has some of the criticism of Dan Happy been a bit unfair, or he's not been at his best, has he, from what you, games you've seen? No, but I think uh, Howard Gould's comments last week sort of, I think actually he put in perspective of how Dan's career is going. He's got to, he's got to push on at some point, and at the moment he's not. Um, I think when Thompson comes back, there's another headache, and Dan probably goes further down the list of uh, getting in the team. But if he stays fit and he's on the bench, he's always going to be a good team player, isn't he? Yes, that's fair enough. One other point about the selection. Once um, Paul Smith was called up by Northern Ireland quite late uh, because they had injuries and, and he was actually an unused substitute in, in each of their games, but he, he got a, a bit of experience of travelling with them again. I think people assume that, that Hector and Rule will be going with uh, the Cyprus under-21s as usual and, and that we, we might postpone the Barrow game even. And I don't think it was until Martin Ling came on this programme last week that, that the club actually told us that those two had decided not to go. Um, suited us, but um, possibly affect their future international prospects when you say you don't want to play for the under-21s? I wouldn't think so. I think um, where they've been playing at under-21 level and they've made their name there, that whoever's in charge of the main national team will uh, have them in their thoughts. I think uh, if they'd have gone and then they'd have lost their place in the team, then it would have been a case of having to fight to get their place back, wouldn't it? So um, I think they, they're thinking of their career first, you know, it's a club that plays your wages, isn't it? So. Yeah, and, and that was the problem last time. It was Newport, wasn't it, the previous international break when we were without them. And, and because it was a decent performance at Newport, they came back and, and they weren't in the team again. Um, Rule, Rule came on. Um, what impression did you think he made, Trevor? Yeah, it was, it was a positive impact this, this, this time, wasn't it? And exactly what the manager was calling for, because he obviously come off the, the Crawley game quite elated with his own performance. I would have thought a couple of goals in the bag. And uh, yeah, that, that ball he put across to uh, Theo when he's sort of inches away from it, I, I don't think uh, the keeper would have seen that if he made a decent contact. But no, yeah, if he'd done exactly what the manager required of him, to be perfectly honest. And he, he, he's obviously um, going to be pushing for a start as... Uh, Richard is um, going to sing his praises, probably. Well, we'll come on. We'll come on to what changes there might be for the for the weekend. But it was, I mean, it was a, it was an obvious sub, and it's a good sub. He makes those subs quite early, doesn't he? Second half, if things aren't going well, and took Drinan mm. off. Well, yeah. I mean, at Port Vale when he brought Smith on. I mean, it was his first sort of big decision. We got well, they wiped the floor with us, didn't they? And yeah, his he, he, substitutes are coming. A bit more positive. I mean, I still can't work Kenny out. I mean, he's 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 a, he's a character in his own right, and uh, he is he is a good, obviously a good manager. But normally, you you can, I could probably tell you every sub Justin would make, and he'd do it. But you, I can't read Kenny yet. So um, yeah, good. It's good. It's good that there's positivity quite early, and you've got once you're back in the game, and then you've got to try and push on the win the game. I think our bench can do that because I was very pleased with the response at Port Vale. And what about the quality of the actual game? I mean, we are, it's quite clear to everybody, we are playing more direct football ourselves. And I, I don't know what the Barrow response was. Rich, you said you'd seen some of the comments from them. Mark Cooper, uh, to, no friend of, of Orient, obviously, but now he's at Barrow. And 
he seemed to be saying that he thought Barrow had got caught up in our kind of direct style and, and that they should have been playing more, more a passing game. But what, what impression did you get from Barrow of what they thought about it? Yeah, I mean, from what I saw online, I think, you know, they, they felt a draw was a fair result, a lot of their fans. Um, I say this is probably where, again, it comes into the difference of being at the game and watching it on the stream. I, I probably thought they just shaded it, if I'm honest. Um, but, you know, I suppose for that second half performance, because I think it's because I felt they looked the better team so much in the first half compared to how much better we looked in the second half. But... Um, but yeah, I mean, they seem to, from what I've seen, that they thought it was a fair result, it was a draw. Um, and I think possibly it comes into that as well is the fact that we were pushing for that, that win, I would say, more than they were. Um, so in that circumstance, you probably always would take that point as well. So um, yeah, respect the point, I'd say, yeah. And the point I was making really as well was that once, once both teams start playing quite direct football, it, it can become very scrappy, can't it? And, and maybe that was what happened as well. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it was there was a lot of aerial stuff going on, and it frustrates both set of fans because if if a team want to go and have a go at each other, playing sort of attacking football on the ground, then it makes for a better game. But I think they probably both respected each other a little bit because at one-one, neither of them wanted to lose. I think like, like ten minutes to go, we would have broke our hand off a point because of the fast we had at Port Vale. So um, yeah, get over the line and get something for the day. If they both play like it, it just nullifies the game and just doesn't draw anyone in. No, that, that was certainly the impression from, from watching, watching at home at, at Barrow. But generally, are you guys enjoying the, the more direct football compared to last season when we were passing it around, often without a lot of end product? I am, yeah, for sure, because I think we're in every football match we've played. And uh, I kind of like that. Um, I think as the season progresses... And if we can sort of maintain this sort of top seven, uh, I expect the home games to be more on the ground, good attacking football with not so much of the long stuff. But away from home, I'm quite happy to go pretty long with the players we've got working hard to keep the ball in their last third and then let's see what we can get. Because set plays, we're looking good and things like that. And we've we still got the free kicks from outside the box to come. We know that we've got the players that can maybe hit the target this year, you know. So, yeah, I'm quite happy with it, to be perfectly honest. It's totally different from what Ross produced, but, you know, this bloke's done it at a level. I was going to say, it's, it's nice to know that the uh, strikers, every time any of them come on, as a sub or as the starter, you think that there's goals in the game. Whereas we haven't had that for a while, have we, really, to be fair with Orient? No, exactly what I thought. And, for instance, every time... Theo Archibald gets on the ball. You think something could happen here, don't you? Yeah, and I think with Paul Smith coming back in now as well, and he's been away, he didn't get on for Northern Ireland, but he's, he's been training with those players, so it's a different level for him as well. So hopefully he's, you know, he's, he's built up a bit more. And with him coming back in, I mean, I've only seen a, a couple of, you know, a few minutes from uh, Paul Smith, and, and I've been looking forward to seeing him all pre-season. So with him on one side, Archibald on the other side, even if we go that way, you know, it, it could well be as Drin and Bin or Sotirio or whoever. You know, there's so much. The bench is getting stronger. Trev mentioned Adam Thompson coming back as well. Um, you know, Callum Riley still to get fit. And, and you know, we're, we're now losing those the kids that were on the bench previously. And we were looking at it thinking, who's going to come on and change things? It's only going to get stronger at the moment until, touch wood, we don't have another injury crisis. But, you know, it, it is. It's looking more positive, yeah. Not too reliant on, on Harry Smith? Because Mansfield certainly stifled him more by, often by 
foul means rather than fair, and, and he was, I thought it was a bit quieter on Saturday as well. Yeah, I mean, there's, you could say that maybe possibly teams are, are realising now because he started off so well that they know what they've got to do to, to watch out for him. Um, but, you know, Drinning can play in that middle part, Soterio can play in the middle. Um, so I think there's, there's always the chance to change it up there a bit as well. And, and, and Smith, I think he's got his fitness back now as well, so, so maybe he'll start coming on even more. Also, if they've got two men on Smith, then that gives Archibald a bit more free reign behind him, sitting behind, and then hopefully he'll be able to pick up the loose ball and uh, hey, there you go. Yeah, a, a graphic um, illustration of the change, I thought. If you anybody watches the 10-minute 10 uh, 10 highlights from the Barrow game, I'm not sure anybody would want to sit through the whole game, which you can now do on the website every week. Um, but those 10 minutes, virtually every one of our attacks in the second half, coming down towards you two behind the goal, uh, was started by Lawrence Vigoru and, and a long clearance, whereas you knew exactly what would have happened last season. He would have passed it to the right back or left back who would have given it to the centre back and they'd have gone all the way along the back four and, and eventually we might or might not have gone forward. But um, those long balls and, and of course, we, you know, you've got Harry Smith up there and not Danny Johnson up there who's, who's n never going to win the headers. So that, that, that's a big change perhaps which, um, w w which shows us very much the way we're going. And also, when um, Vigaru is putting the ball out, he's doing it a lot quicker than he used to. And he, he hasn't got Connor Wilkinson, uh, who we'll talk about in a minute, just, just standing on the touch line and, and therefore uh, frequently putting the ball into touch with, with, with Harry Smith and perhaps Drinnen up the middle as well. And just briefly, um, any individual performances, Barrow or even Crawley recently? Um, people have been talking about Dan Kemp. Is there any, any way to get Dan Kemp in the team or does it just not fit at the moment? I think all the time that Archibald's fit, I don't think Kent really stands much of a chance, if I'm fair. You don't really, Jacket doesn't really play with that. I mean, Kemp for me is more like a number 10 and, and we're not really playing that formation at the moment with a number 10. It's, you know, Archibald cutting in from the wing and, and Drinan doing the donkey work on the other side. So I think at the moment, I'm a big fan of Dan Kemp as well, but I just think he's not going to be, he's not going to be starting any games anytime soon. Um, but for me as well, also, I'll mention it because Trev already said it for me, but Soterio against Crawley really stood out for me as well. So I, I think that we may see him on um, Saturday coming up, actually, possibly for Drinan. Um, you know, we could say that's slightly unlucky, but I think his last two performances have been real sort of game-changing performances from Soterio. So I think we may see him soon. I think he is due a start, isn't he? He's, uh, he's come on well from the bench. Exactly, and, yeah. um, you know, he needs to be rewarded with a start, otherwise he might get a bit despondent and then next time he comes on from the bench he might not be as sparkling as he is. And, and lastly on Barrow from us, um, it, it was a great effort, 269, 270 Orient fans up there. Um, some people in the seats behind the goal didn't seem to think much of it, seemed to think it was a pretty, pretty bad view or you stood on the terrace like uh, Trevor and got wet. But um, uh, the players and the, and the management certainly seem to appreciate it, don't they? Which is good. Just notice Joe Gallen makes sure they go over, uh, over afterwards every game to, to show their appreciation. If, uh, it, I'm not sure if Trev was there when we went on the Tuesday night in the National League season when Sam Ling scored from that cross. Um, but it was all completely open then. So at least now they've put some sort of cover on there for us. But the cover's um, not quite what we need so need to get rid of the pillars that were there yes yes it didn't it didn't it's, well it sounds a good old-fashioned ground that's uh, i think they've been there over 100 years so probably fair enough trevor you know they 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 put a, the, the covered bit behind the goal and it's sort of very similar to other parts of it but 
They've got a new tea bar as well because uh, when the first time we went, I didn't do the Tuesday night sadly, but when the first time I went, that they had a, a good old fashioned, like our old fat fryer cooking bacon rolls, and it was like, yeah, it was going back in time. But I loved every second of that. It's but, yeah, no, they, they've done a lot of work there, and, and the pitch was okay. I mean, getting these long games out of the way, Carlo and Barrow is, I think, it's a bonus. Not going up in uh, January and February, which other teams will have to do, and if they have the bad logistics, that can help do in our favour. Only Hartlepool to come. Well, we're about to hear uh, shortly from Glenn Wilkie to get uh, the former player's point of view. But just before that, um, as we link from Saturday's game to the forthcoming ones, here's Dulcet Dave with Victor's view. You only have to look at the league table to see what a battle this campaign's going to be. And up in the northwest, Kenny Jacket's men demonstrated that they're up for the fight. The first half, proper old-fashioned fourth division stuff. Plenty of headers, clearances and biting tackles, but not too many constructive passes. Although just before the break, Theo Archibald forced an outstanding save from Paul Farman. After the restart, the travelling faithful saw another careless mistake at the back, which Robbie Gotts was quick to exploit. Goals changed games and this one transformed the match. The appearance of Sotorio provided much-needed pace to the Orient attack. Prattley and Cipriano started to provide the service to enable the O strike force and Archibald in particular opportunities to get behind the Barrow rear guard. One of the most significant improvements under Jacket and Gannon is the threat that the O's now present from set pieces. Orient's equaliser was a perfect example. A quality delivery from Archibald, sheer determination of Omar Beckles. In that all-important moment... The O's simply wanted it more. There were chances for a winner, but once again, Leighton Orient were denied. It's now just two points from Impossible 9, and the clubs immediately below the O's are closing in fast. The O's won a four on 17 points. Saturday's visitors, Walsall, will be determined to close the four-point gap between themselves and the O's. Connor Wilkinson's injury-time winner over Salford City will have provided a timely boost for Matt Taylor's Saddlers. Saturday's match promises to be a fiercely competitive affair. At least Paul Smith will be available following his duties with Northern Ireland. And of course, Tom James will have served his suspension. Kenny Jacket will welcome the competition for places. He'll appreciate the right sort of selection problems. Thank you, Dave. Dave Victor there, our man on the gantry, looking forward and backwards. And we can say welcome to our man in the studio, former midfielder Glenn Wilkie, who was on duty on the stream on that Barrow game. How are you, Glenn? Yeah, all good. Thank you, Steve. Nice to be on with you guys. Excellent. Um, you could tell us a bit, actually, about, about how it all works in there in the, uh, the Orient Live programme, because we often hear from our chairman about uh, how other people, other clubs and directors, when they come down, uh, talk about what an impressive setup it is. Yeah, no, it's great, the setup they've got there, what they've done over the last year or, or so, has, uh, has been remarkable, really, um, and I've been lucky enough to be in, involved in it. Um, and, and you're right, there has been, there's been times in the past where opposition coaches or, sorry, directors have come in and they've looked at the setup and they're, they're really intrigued. I think it's more the point of view that the O's get to keep the majority of the money, I think. Um, don't quote me on that, but I think it, it's, it's out there. Whereas opposed to the I follow stuff, they only get a percentage, a smaller percentage. So I think in this day and age with clubs losing money every year, I think any any way they can to, to sort of get some more money into the clubs, uh, I think they'll do it. But 
the setup, the, the media guys are fantastic. Um, all behind the scenes, everything's good. The, the only thing for me is when there's a home game, it's fantastic for me because I get to see the whole pitch. I can sort of talk through, I can see stuff which the camera's not following. But when it's an away game, I'm just like the viewers at home. I'm watching it on a screen, which is really difficult because you're only following the ball like the camera is. So it's, it's slightly harder that way for me. Yes, exactly. We, we've been talking just a bit earlier about the difference between watching on the screen and, and actually being there as, uh, as Trevor and, and Kerem were on Saturday. And are you actually going to be down at pitch side still for the home games? Getting, getting a bit nippy down there for those evening games now. Yeah, they, they saved it last year till right in the winter before they put us down at the pitch. I think it's someone having a cruel joke with us, but <laughs> I'm not sure of what the plans are. I think there are there are plans to, to change it up um, and to do some new fresh stuff, but um, I've not been told exactly what, what the plans are and, and when they're going to sort of come into play. Right. And uh, I remember you, you occasionally gave us the old uh, occasional exclusive last season of, uh, about the, what you've heard from the dressing rooms and stuff. There was one famous rant, wasn't there? I was trying to, from a visiting manager, I was trying to remember what game. Was it Plymouth when we, when we beat them right at the end in the League Cup and the manager that, was having a real go? That was right. That was me on my way out. I was walking down the stairs and, be, and because of COVID, um, the players were getting, the away teams were getting changed in one of the lounges. And as I was walking down the stairs, I could hear this bellowing voice. And uh, it was it was a Plymouth manager. Obviously, they were they were two 0 up in that that game, and uh, we come back and beat them three two, didn't we? Before we set up the tie with Tottenham, that's they right. Didn't go ahead. So, yeah, I, I forget his name, the manager. I was I wasn't actually doing Orient Live that day. I was up in the gantry uh, for for the Orient Hour. Um, it was when we were allowed to go up and watch games when it was obviously no supporters were allowed in and yeah walking down I heard them and uh, yeah a few choice words were, were said I think it was actually Ryan Lowe and have you noticed where Plymouth are this season top um, of the first division I was going to say in the south west no a team who we were beating this time last year who what only two seasons ago were playing them in the league and uh, there they are top of the first division and talking about establishing themselves in the championship so that, that yeah. tells you how, how football can change and I suppose the other thing uh, lastly you, you probably hear uh, when you are down on the pitch you, you hear a lot more from the technical area it seems to be many, mainly Kenny Jacket, but he, he really does keep on at the players doesn't he? He does, yeah. He's, uh, this season, I've not had the opportunity to. Last season, with no crowds in the in the stadium, you could hear everything from both benches. What was being sort of shouted, barked out. Um, this year, I've been up in the seats and there's supporters in the in the stands, so you can't hear like you could last season. But you can see he's very animated on the side. You can pick up from his body language. <laughs> I think everyone can when he's not happy. You can see him digging a few players out if they're not doing what's expected of them. So uh, he's uh, a bit different to, to what we had last year under the two managers then. Um, but I really like him. He, he knows football. He knows it well. I know you guys spoke earlier about us going a bit more direct, but I think that's what this this league needs. And I think over over the number of years, if you, if you play too much football or you've got the players and you try and do that, we know. Look at Newport last year. If you if you start going to places who've got bad pitches, your your game's scuppered. You know, so you have to mix it up. So why not have a different sort of 
set style to your play. We can play pretty football. We've shown that this season, but we can also mix it up and keep the opposition guessing going by going longer. Yeah. And are you surprised as, uh, from your experience as a player as how long uh, or how quickly perhaps the, the team have gelled? Because most days, I think most games, we're putting eight new players, occasionally even nine new players, and, and they do seem to have gelled pretty quickly. Yeah, um, I, I know Martin Ling said last week on the on the show that he was he was surprised that they they come together or were in the position in the league uh, that they are this early on. Uh, they thought it, they would get there, but it'll be a bit further on in the league. Let's hope we are still up and around there towards the end of the season. But these guys, a lot of the guys he's brought in are experienced pros, and they've they've been around the game. It's not like you're bringing youngsters in from non-league and and guys who've only played 10 games it's, it's a bit different you've got more experienced pros in there they've obviously gone out and bought these guys because they know the way they want to play they know the, the pace they want to put into the game and everything else so they've highlighted how they want to play because it was almost a blank canvas they've gone out and got the players who will fit into that jigsaw puzzle and, and they've done very well and I just I just think that they've done what they've We've scored a lot of goals. We had that real good purple patch where the front three were scoring. We've had a little bit of a dip at the moment. Um, but hopefully Saturday we'll sort of spin that back around and get back to winning ways. Yeah, Glenn, Trevor, seen we with you. Um, like pick your point up of, of the players. This is the first time as a fan and a fan talking. I like virtually every single Orient player I, I'm going to watch on a Saturday afternoon. You know, as... A fan side, I don't like him, don't fancy him, but this is the first time in a hell of a long while um, that I, I, I seem to like every player, so it sort of originates what you're saying. I mean, do you see that from when you've not been around the players? I don't know if you've been around them this year much with the uh, TV duties. No, that, I, I think they're all, they're all good. You're always going to have... I think the start to the season has helped. If we would have struggled and, and drawn four and, and lost and only won a couple I think the supporters would be on the players backs and be choosing their favourites and the ones that they think not worth the money or whatever I think that the start to the season we've had is, has been really positive and the players are good players um, I, like you I can't see someone I think and I look at them and think oh I'm not sure about him or he's, he's not as good as what we had last season I think all the players that have come in have been better than we, what we had in last year and the ones that have gone. I, I, don't, I can't see any player now being weaker than anyone from last year, which is a real, real good thing. And that's what the club are open to do. And that's what any manager wants to do every season when he gets players. He wants to improve on the squad and get better. Yeah, I have to agree with you on that point. Like for like, is, especially the, I, I think the wing backs, the full backs, is, is the biggest point. Uh, I think the major factor why we're doing quite well, and I, I like both of them a lot, considering who was playing full back last year. And you watch most of the games; it was they are. They, I think they're the biggest impact this season. And do you know what? Thinking about it, the, the only one I would have in that squad, possibly in the team, and I don't say possibly, I would have him in the team from last season and he would start for me now is James Brophy at left wing back I think I'm not saying Wood's been terrible I think he's been steady I think he's done well but I just think I think I would possibly have Brophy in there he, he would be the only one he, maybe not starting but in that squad 
Fair point. And, and interestingly, of course, the only player of all those who uh, left and re were released last year, the only one who actually got a, a move up to a, a higher division. I think he's been playing pretty regularly for, for Cambridge as well. Glenn, one slightly controversial topic we wanted to get you on um, from the players' point of view. At, at Barrow on Saturday, for the first time, the players didn't take the knee before the game. Um, the background to that, of course, was that Lawrence Vigarou suffered some, some disgusting racist... Uh, abuse after the Port Vale game. Uh, Port Vale, people will probably have seen, uh, banned indefinitely one supporter responsible. Uh, Vig spoke very well uh, in a long interview on the club website, which you can still see, about the abuse he's received in his career and, and in his life. And what he said was that the players decided on this occasion at Barrow not to take a knee, that they don't just want to make it a gesture but also they don't want to lose what it stands for and they'll discuss it again before this weekend's game uh, and decide what they'll do in future. Uh, but that the most important thing is that, that everyone's agreed that, uh, with, with what they do. Every, uh, all the players are together on this. If, if you were a player in the dressing room now, what, what, um, what would you be saying about it, do you think? You know what, I think... For what, what happened to Lawrence the other week is... malfunction here can you hear me yes yes you're right. oh sorry um yeah well, what happened to Lawrence was was dreadful and, and I, I've not heard his interview so I, I need to go and have a look at that and listen to that so I can't comment on what he said but with the whole kneeling thing before the game it's am I, am I right it was brought in to raise more awareness for for the racism in in football and maybe sport in general I know it did it start in the NFL yeah but it's, there, there's, I don't want to say the wrong thing here, but I, I think we, we need to eradicate it from the game. We need to eradicate it from society, full stop. How do they go about doing it? Do some players feel that it's lost? It's, it's gone on for a, a whole season now and it's lost. It's just an empty gesture. I don't know. I'm not in that changing room. Um, but then again... I'm a white Englishman, you know, it's, I, I've never suffered racism, so I, I can't comment on what it feels like to be, to be targeted. So you'd have to speak to people of colour and, and see what their views are, and I think you do have to take the lead from them, more than anyone. It's no point asking four white guys who have never been abused, racially abused, what they think about it when it's not really affected them. Okay, they've got an input, got to t talk to the other guys in there and say look whatever you decide we stand behind you whatever your decision is we are all together as a group and a team and a squad and staff and we stand behind what you want yes very fair sorry put you on the spot there but i, th I think that uh, although you haven't heard uh, lawrence's interview which is uh, well worth listening to i think that's very much the gist of what he was saying that uh, that I suspect the the, the, uh, the non-white players, uh, and there are plenty in our squad, we've always had a very mixed and cosmopolitan squad and, and we've been based in a very mixed and cosmopolitan community and uh, the idea, I think, is, is that we will take our lead from, from what they say and the important thing is that it doesn't just become uh, an empty gesture. 
Um, and less controversially, um, getting back to the league, we'll come on to uh, our next two fixtures very shortly. What about the standard of the league generally? I mean, just looking at the league table, the, the extraordinary thing is how close it all is, isn't it? I think we've got eight teams below us now within about two points. So uh, if, if we didn't pick up some points, we could actually slide down the table quite quickly. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually just having a look at that now, Steve. I think from Stevenage in 15th, they're, they're sort of four points behind us in six. So sort of, it is very close, but it, there's only 10, 11 games gone, you know. We're not even at the quarter mark of the season yet. So it's, it's always going to be close. We know what it was like last year when we were thinking, can we get into seventh place or like with 10 games to go or... Can we get in the top top seven and you lose a game and you drop down five spaces? It's like that throughout the season. It's always going to chop and change. I just I just think that the standard of the league, is it any better than last year? I just think it's tough. It's a tough league. It, it always is. I think all the leagues are tough for, for one reason or the other. But obviously, League Two is very tough. You've got the, the teams who have come up, the teams who have come down. Some have got more money. Some haven't. Some are trying to survive. It's it's a real mixture, and I I, I absolutely love it. I I would watch a League Two game every time over a Premier League game. I, I really would, and that's not me just saying that. I just find the whole Premier League thing a bit boring at times, and it just I I think at League Two, okay, the quality of the player is not the same, but I just find the games more exciting. More exciting most of the time, not Saturday, but most of the time. You say that, Glenn. It's Karen here. Hiya. Hi, Karen. You, you say that. I went to uh, Wembley yesterday and watched England versus Hungary, and uh, I did turn around and say to the family, I'd much rather be sitting watching Orient. At least I know we're going to maybe attack at some stage. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Do you not find I watched the, the last sort of 30 minutes last night, and I just, it frustrates me. It's a bit. It's the modern way of playing and the, the academies and the England team and everything, of keeping the ball and not giving possession away and the old adage of, if we've got the ball, they can't score and then we'll try and move them around and open them up. But it's, yeah, that's that's great if you want to do that. But for the paying public and the viewer on TV, it is boring at times. And it's not, I'm just going to sound like an old man here. I know there's a few older ones in the studio, but it's not the football that we grew up on and watched and that that sort of blood and guts and, and like you said Trevor it, it's a bit longer ball this season but it's a lot more exciting than last year for the fan it's like like I say when I was at the football yesterday when uh, Walker and Shaw started pushing forward I said oh well they're no James or uh, Wood are they <laughs> and there's no no, no Vigaru hitting those 60 yard passes downfield either let's move it on to Warsaw and Forest Green uh, Warsaw and our former friend, Connor Wilkinson, who, um, if you haven't been following his progress, he uh, got his first goal quite late. Warsaw had a bad start. He then missed the whole of September. He picked up a hamstring injury, uh, came back on Saturday, substitute against Salford, and, uh, as has been mentioned, uh, got the winning goal in the 95th minute. Um, I happened to see it on, on TV. It was a classic Connor goal. Picks up the ball on the right-hand side of the penalty area, comes inside on his left foot, and, and tucked it in at the near post. So that's got Warsaw on a bit of a high. Um, Trevor, you've normally done a bit of homework on the on these teams. Uh, what have you noticed about Warsaw? Not a lot, to be perfectly honest. Um, 
No, I've not really been following uh, Wilkinson's progress. I've been following Brophy's progress at uh, Cambridge because he went the division above, like Glenn mentioned. But no, I'd, I'd be honest, I don't know a great deal about Walsall this year. I know they're sort of bottom eight or something like that, am I right? Yes, no, it was. Uh, they've been poor away from home and, uh, and were probably about bottom four or five until that, um, until that win on Saturday, weren't they, Rich? Yeah, I mean, I think they, they were quite fancied. I mean, Matt Taylor coming in, he made some promising signings, obviously including Connor Wilkinson for them. So I think they all thought, as probably most people did, that they'd be doing better than they are now. Um, I mean, one thing about Wilkinson, I, I, I mean, you might actually know this yourself. I mean, I think he's playing more through the centre now, right, than actually being out on the, on the wing like he was for Certainly us. Certainly started at, at centre forward. Um, though, having been out of the team, um, we don't know whether he'll come back. I mean, it, it, you, normally, you, I think you get, come on and get the winning goal, and you reckon you you ought to be in the starting lineup for Saturday, don't you? So yeah, we'll see. Exactly. I mean, he's got the number nine shirt, but whether that means anything these days, I'm not sure to be honest. But you know, I I always preferred Wilkinson on that side to be honest, cutting in on his left foot. I think the the odd occasion he did play through the middle. I didn't feel he was as effective. Um, I, I always thought he had a good. He could get. A, you know, he won the ball. Uh, you know, he'd get the flick ons and that kind of thing. Um, but I think that was what was quite good last season. Vigaru would often pick him out on that touchline, and, and he'd be able to get on the end of it and put it across. Um, so it'll be interesting. The fact that he scored sort of makes me think that possibly he will start at the weekend. Um, but it will certainly be an interesting um, match-up, you know, because Ogie, if he is on the right, will be on that side of the back three as well. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing that if he does start. Rich, last, last season, um, me and Barry Lakin did a sort of 45-minute interview for the Orient Hour with Connor Wilkinson. And uh, I, I don't know if you heard it. It's, it's still out there if you want to go and have a listen to it. But once we got him talking and he opened up and uh, he got involved, he, he, he said, and I know he said this in, in other media as well, he's, he said he prefers playing on the right-hand side. He said all throughout his career, most of it, he's been playing as a, a striker down the middle. And he, and he doesn't enjoy it. He really doesn't. Yeah, so you know he, what? He, that doesn't surprise me at all because I remember when, again, for Dagenham, when he played against us, I remember him on that right-hand side and I remember he stood out for me because he was their best player. I think, I'm sure we beat them, but he was their best player by a mile. And I remember remembering his name based on that. So when we actually signed him, I was really pleased actually because I thought, this, I think this guy's going to be really good because he just kept cutting in on that right-hand side all the time and his left foot was great. So I, I thought that when a lot of fans last season were saying he should be down the middle and 4-4-2 with Connor up front, I, I always thought I, I like him on that right-hand side, actually. Um, cutting in on that left foot, you know, he was always very effective there. And, and I, I'm not surprised. I'll, I'll have a listen out for that, actually, Glenn. Yeah, I'll have a listen for that interview. There was, a, my, my, watching him a lot last season, um, I'm not, I'm not going to say he's a one-trick pony, because he's not. And like you've just alluded to, he loves cutting in onto his left foot. If I'm a coach going up against him, that's easy to mark. That's yeah. easy to play against him playing there. But if he's playing centre forward, I think the best thing for for us on Saturday, if he's playing down the middle, that's even better for us because we know what he's like. He's a sulker more than Daddy Johnson was last season. Yeah. He's a sulker. And if he doesn't get his own way, he downs tools. And if it's not going his way, he downs tools. So if he does play down the middle with our, with our centre-halves, then they're not going to go easy on him, you know. I, I think he will sulk, even if he is on the right-hand side, providing we get the setup right whenever the ball goes out to him. And we make sure if he cuts in, we've got extra bodies there just to, to stop him going any further with it. I would, me, personally, I would force him on his right foot all the time down the wing because 
he doesn't like to cross the ball with his right. I think he's done it probably a handful of times the whole season last year. I just think it'd be easier to, to play against, but it only takes that split second with someone switching off and we know what he can do when he is when he is full of confidence and on form. Well, he has he's scored for his last two starts for Walsall, hasn't he? And he's put it down to his hairstyle, apparently, and he's not going to get his hair cut till then. So I'm going to take my clippers, Connor, so uh, come and see me after. He, he actually said he, he's, uh, last year it was because he had his socks rolled down in his run of form. <laughs> so he had his socks rolled down below his calves, sort of thing. Uh, he, he, felt he, was, he felt better and he played better. Obviously superstitious player, isn't he? Yeah. Glenn, what about our team? We've got Tom James to come back, which I think we can reasonably assume he will do as he's been playing so well. Um, and the other question I wonder about, Aaron Drinham was uh, brought off quite early, second half. Um, Rule came on and did OK, and Paul Smith is available as well. What, what would you do up front? It's, it is difficult to change that front three, um, just purely because how their, their form has been for the, for the first sort of say the last six games forget Saturday and the, and the game before when they've not really done as much but if you look at Saturday they've created chances Archibald could have scored three or four Saturday so the fact that it didn't go in okay they're getting the, then that front three are creating chances for each other whether it's one of them or a couple of them I think they do really well and, and more like you say they've gelled quickly but the more and more they play together they'll get better and they'll get a better understanding of movements off the ball and where people are moving when one of them's got the ball I, I would be reluctant to change it I really would even though he um, I was going to say Hector then Ruel he done very well at Crawley last week he looked sharp when he came on on Saturday He's, he's made a big commitment to the club by not going away on international duty, sort of saying, no, my loyalties are here. I want to play. I want to get in the first team and, and push for that. He's doing all the right things, which is great for the club and great for the team. Um, I don't know whether I would start him this Saturday, though. I think he's a, he's a real good impact player coming off the bench. All right, interesting team selection Saturday then. And just before we talk about Tuesday, uh, don't forget Saturday is the FA Cup fourth qualifying round, which means that by Sunday lunchtime, uh, the draw will be made for the first round with League One and League Two teams coming in, of course. Uh, it's on ITV Live, I believe, about five past one. Um, our FA Cup, I'm going to ask anybody in this studio if they can remember the last time we won an FA Cup game. <laughs> Last season we played Newport at home. We made about five changes, which I was disappointed with, and lost. The season before that we played some team from a jam factory and managed <laughs> to lose to them at home. The season before that, there's some very puzzled faces in this studio. The season before that we didn't even get to the first round. We went to Maidstone. And the year before that we finally went away got a draw and won at home in the fourth qualifying round to Dagenham. Well done, Trevor. We beat Dagenham uh, after having lost the last three. We finally beat Dagenham and, and then lost at Gillingham in that first National League season. So hoping for a better draw. I don't, I'm sure that round always used to be regionalised, the first and second rounds, but I, I don't think they are anymore. So who knows? Sunderland and Sheffield Wednesday and all, all sorts of places we could be going to. So give ITV a look about five past one on a Sunday. 
And watch out for the Supporters Club Twitter because if it's an away game, we more than likely will have a coach going. Excellent. So you should. So you should. And briefly, uh, three days later, Glenn, just to wind up with you, Forest Green Rovers, top of the table. But uh, at one stage, it looked as if they might run away with it a bit. But as Saturday's results showed at home to Swindon, they're, they're not impregnable either, are they? No. No. Obviously, we've got our bit of history with them after the last, last season or and the season before. They'd I, I've not seen them play this year, but under Cooper they played some good football. When we played them last year away twice, didn't we, in the Cup and mm. in the league game and at home, they they do like to get the ball down and play now. I don't know what their style is at the moment, but whatever it is, it's working because they're sitting at the top of the league. Yes, they've they've got beat on Saturday against a, another good team in Swindon who are in the top three, so... Who knows what went on there, but that that will be a tough game. I'll, I'll be up there on Tuesday night. I'm really interested to see how they set up and, and what's good about them and what's not. Obviously, we see Harrogate. When they, they played us at home, uh, Harrogate wasn't brilliant, but they beat us and they've done a very good job on us. And they, they're sitting second place. So it is very, very tight. I don't think Forest Green are going to be like Brazil from the 1970s, you know, they're a League 2 club, they're there, they can be beaten, it's just a, it's an intriguing fixture for, for everyone and especially the supporters. Yeah, it's perhaps a bit of a shame that it is a midweek game because we tend to, to drop about a thousand supporters and of course you don't get uh, you don't get so many visitors either, but always, uh, Glenn, you'd know a, a psychological boost, I'm sure, from certainly beating the league leaders or any top team, isn't it? Hundred percent. With like going back to your point there about losing uh, supporters coming through the door, as it's a Tuesday night, the game will be streamed live in the UK, I believe. So those supporters who can't make the game, they can pay their ten pounds and watch the game live on the stream. So they can see the game and they can help the club with some funds as well. But beating the league leaders, that that gives you a massive boost. It gives you an absolute massive boost. It shows you where you are, you know, in the league. You get that you get that feeling. Other teams around you, look at what's happened. Swindon have beat Forest Green on Saturday. People looking at Swindon thinking, well, they're no mugs. They're, they're a pretty decent side. And they're looking at Swindon are now on people's radars even more. So if we go and beat them next Tuesday, depends on what happens on Saturday, we, we could be in that sort of top two, top three. Um, it just gives everyone a lift. It gives the players a lift. Um you go into work, whistling, having a skip if you if you don't don't drive. Um, it just gives the whole place a lift, you know. And you, and you start thinking that we've got half a chance here this season. I think they'll be thinking that anyway. But you start beating the bigger, higher place teams in the league, and, and the confidence levels go through the roof. Glenn Wilkie, pleasure as ever to uh, hear from you. We hope to see you again in person soon. Thanks very much for joining us. No problem, guys and gal. All the best. Thank See you, you soon. Bye. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Glenn Wilkie, our former midfielder, joining us there. Now, in the last um, six or seven minutes, we thought we'd have a look at uh, a bit of Orient on social media um, in the past week or so. I must say, when I started looking, I was astonished at just how much there is out there. Um, if you go on Facebook, I counted 24 different Orient groups, of which the biggest are Stand Up for the Orient, which has over 5,000 members. Leighton Orient Supporters Chat has nearly 4,000. Um, so just go on facebook.com and have a look. You don't have to make friends with people, although you'll uh, be offered a few friends to say hello to. You might come across some old friends. But just look at the groups, look up Leighton Orient. Uh, Karen, have you ever come across Leighton Orient FC's Iceland supporters who have their own group? 
Yes, then I'm in touch with, um, I don't know how to pronounce it, but um, sorry if you're listening. I think his name's <laughs> Rudolf Rear. He's a very nice guy. He comes into the supporters club when he comes over to the uh, London occasionally when they were allowed to for the games. But, well, uh, yeah, no, very good, uh, nice group. hope they'll be back. So I, I looked at it and thought, oh, it said Lake Norrin, Ireland. And I thought, oh, that's, that's understandable. We must have some Ireland supporters. They've There's got, one of those as well. Uh, oh, good. Well, they've got over 100 members in Iceland, which is terrific. Um, so over two dozen uh, on, on there. I, I don't want to sound like an expert on social media because my children taught me all this. But um, Twitter as well, if you just give yourself a name, uh, start following, for instance, at Lake Norian FC, the official club one. They've now got 81,000 followers. So any news that, uh, that, that they put up, which they do all the time, most of the stuff that appears on the website goes on there as well. A uh, great uh, marketing tool for the club, really, that, that up to 80,000 people couldn't, can see any of that. I think a lot of those followers came from um, during the lockdown when they did the quarantine thing. So I think they got a lot of um, followers through that way. So. Right. Uh, and uh, Instagram, which I know nothing whatsoever about, but apparently has lots of pictures and videos and nearly 50,000 Orient supporters on there. And then, of course, the, uh, the supporters forums with opinions on uh, all manner of topics. If you just Google Leighton Orient Independent Forum, for instance, um, you'll come across a lot of chat, some of it very uh, controversial and quite argumentative on there. And then uh, YouTube.com, which you may be familiar with, type in Late Orient on there, all manner of uh, interviews, match highlights, old and new, and that, that's just the main stuff. So if you can get onto the internet, you can get all that and more, and that's without even mentioning the club website, which I'm sure most people do use now. Um, and one of the first things I spotted after this weekend was pictures of a very smartly dressed Keren at the reunion of the 1970 championship winning team, which looked a terrific occasion. How did it go and who was there? Yeah, it was very good, thank you. Um, yeah, it was nice to see the players from 69-70 promotion season, uh, led by Terry Mancini. He uh, looked very well, considering his years. I Richie, thought they all looked uh, very well, actually. Mark they, Lazarus, who's now well into his 80s, isn't he? Yeah, I think so. Well, I I'm not sure exact, their exact ages, but yeah, there was Mark Lazarus, uh, Mick Jones. Mickey Bullock, did I say? Mickey Bullock, yeah. Uh, Terry Brisley. Terry Brisley, go on, you know, you saw them all. <laughs> Terry Brisley, like Botel. I say, Mancini, Steve Botel. Oh. Yes. Oh, Dennis Rofe. Dennis Rofe. Oh, yeah, Dennis yes, Rofe. He turned no, up with Terry Brisley, yeah. Well, that was great to see. You see, that's the sort of thing... They you... look like brothers, the pair of them. <laughs> that's the sort of thing you pick up when you, you follow the Orient on, the, on social media. Trevor, you're a, you're a Twitter man as well. Anything you've, um, you've spotted recently? Uh, the only the thing I uh, enjoyed seeing this week is uh, a very rare postcard come picture of 1930. It was on... Um, on Brentford, it goes Brentford in colour. A fella's colourised all oh, black um, and white. Wembley. Yeah, all black and white photos. He, he's colourised them, so there you get. I think there's two or three Orient defenders on the line or something, and uh, you see the stadium. Um, that was it was eight thousand or something there that day for when we played them. But yeah, because I collect that kind of thing, I, I stumbled across the Brentford site, and I, I like the way they they colourise these these postcards, and it, it sort of brings it the black and white to life. So I, I'll put the LFC hashtag on that and uh, I think a few people enjoyed that because I do like the Clapton Orient stuff as well. That's um, good. Well, there is a, on face, it's on Facebook that there's an Orient Collectors page as well, isn't there? In fact, uh, a new <coughs> post today that uh, an O's fan 
selling some of his large uh, collection of Orient programs, Home and Away, and all profits are going to the Somme Memorial Fund, uh, which is very generous, so that's something else you can have a look at on Facebook. And we should probably say the uh, unveiling of the Orient Memorial, which I believe you're going to in Staffordshire very shortly. Yeah, I think it's the, on the 24th of October. Obviously, Sunday, Steve, yeah. Steve will be all over it. Yeah, I'm going up on the on the Saturday, missing Stevenage. I'll, I'll take any abuse people want to give me. But, um, yeah, don't want to get up too early and... Uh, the actual place looks like a phenomenal visit and a very historic place in, in, in Britain. So I'm looking forward to it. And uh, I'm sure Steve Jenkins will be having many butterflies uh, leading up to it because I know he's going up there on the Saturday and uh, he'll be getting pretty nervous when to, uh, to unveil the, the memorial, which we're, we're looking forward to. You're running a coach, aren't they, somebody? Uh, there's two. There's two coaches that are being run by the Somme Memorial Fund that are going from the supporters club. And, um, yeah, I think they're both full. So. Brilliant. Um, I must also mention the one I, the one I love uh, that's come up a lot recently on YouTube is something called The Heavy Roller, which um, has got hold of all sorts of film that I think originally uh, came from the BBC. Uh, some of the quality, naturally, because it's so old, has, uh, is not the best. But you can actually see highlights of games like our famous 2-2 draw with Liverpool in the, the promotion season in 1962 and the first ever game uh, in the first division with Arsenal. Uh, going back even further, I think the, uh, the 1954 Cup quarter-final against Port Vale. And for anyone who's never seen uh, Tom Johnston in action, our greatest player of all time, um, 1957 game there, uh, a very uh, enjoyable game at home to Cardiff that's on there. So have a look at the Heavy Roller on, on YouTube and you'll find some fantastic stuff. And just on um, the Orient supporters chat today, uh, taking the knee, which we mentioned, has uh, sparked a very lively debate. Um, Steve Foster, our very busy scout, was on, uh, on complimenting Sutton after he saw them win at Portsmouth in the Papa John's Trophy. And something else we should probably mention, uh, the club are looking for programme sellers. Uh, that's on our official Orient page, so um, do get in touch with them. And just one more from me that I greatly enjoyed. Anybody know what's significant about April Fool's Day 1967 when we played at home to Swindon Town? Four years before I was born, exactly to the day. Well, you're excused for not knowing too much about it. Trevor, if I said uh, a film... Yeah, there's a film, I couldn't tell you the name, but there's footage of the actual stadium and that, isn't there? Yes, Robbery, the 1967 the one, yeah. film about the great train robbery with Stanley Baker. And what I love about it is that the, uh, the villains who are planning the great train robbery, where they're going to rob £5 million from the Royal Mail, are looking for a quiet place where they won't be overheard discussing their plans. So where do they go, obviously, on a Saturday afternoon, they turn up on the North Terrace at Lake Orient, and they stand there discussing their plans, whether they'll take shooters or not, and what they'll do, how they'll divvy up the money um, while the game is going on. And the great thing about the actual footage of the match is that they, they capture the, the key moment of the game. It was a goalless draw, uh, but they capture the key moment where we go downfield at the far end and hit the underside of the bar claim a goal and the goal isn't given so there is a, there is photographic evidence of how we should have beaten Swindon 1-0 on, on that famous day so there you are that's some of the stuff which is uh, available on social media so do have a look at some of that uh, catch up with your fellow 
supporters and all the news about the club. We're now out of time, so I have to say thank you to Trevor Singfield, to Karen Harrison, to Richard Priest, and to Glenn Wilkie, also to Nick in the studio pressing the buttons. The Orient Hour, as I'm sure you know, is on Phoenix 98 FM, available online on your smart speaker or on the good old-fashioned radio at 7pm on Wednesdays and on the podcast shortly after the end of the programme, which we've now reached. Stay well, stay positive, and until the next time, cheerio, and up the O's. We're not a city, we're not a town We're the only one of us around And you know where we can be found When Saturday comes again We'll be trying to do our best To cheer all those on who wear the rest Whatever challenge, whatever test We'll lay an Orion from each end like an Orient from E10 This is our club and we are proud So sing it up and sing it loud We were formed in 1881 Clancy Orient and so begun The old story 